And uh, I want to add my welcome. My name is Paul Reese, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Church Chapel. If aesthetically you don't like oh yay, go for oh yes or amen. Whatever, whatever you're going to shout when, when you hear the trumpet sound and you see the Lord come back, that's what you should say at that point, I reckon. Uh, I, I, we might be speechless, or we might be saying, oh yes. Well, it's great to have you here. Uh, the book of the month is uh, The God of All Things by Andrew Wilson. It's absolutely superb. Every chapter, I love, uh, I love it. I learn new things. It's really helpful. There's 10 extra copies uh, this Sunday if you'd like one for yourself. Uh, you give us £8.50, you get the book. That's the deal. Well, um, a statue has been placed in Glasgow train station to greet many of the delegates uh, who arrived for the COP26 climate change conference. If we move it forward, you get to see this statue. And um, written underneath is a poem by Jackie Kay, a former Scots macker, the national poet of Scotland. And this, these are the words underneath. Hope is Black Lives Matter. Hope is me too. Hope is my son and my daughter. Hope is a girl called Greta. Hope is the color of the future. Well, what do you think of that? It's an optimistic uh, view of the future, isn't it? Uh, one where there's no more prejudice or injustice experienced by people uh, with different skin colors. One where women uh, will not experience sexual harassment and abuse from men. And these indeed would undoubtedly be great things, would they not? And it's a wishful thinking, isn't it? The next generation is somehow going to be wiser than our generation is going to fix all the problems. It's a nice thought, isn't it? Uh, and somehow it's all wrapped up with this uh, person, Greta Thunberg, with her passionate calls to world leaders to, to take action, to sort of halt climate uh, global warming. Uh, so is hope a girl called Greta? Well, what does God have to say to us? Well, please open your Bibles back up to Romans chapter 8. I don't know much about Greta Thunberg, but if Jackie Kay would allow me to change her poem, I love that you don't have to rhyme as a poet now. She's the national poet. It doesn't have to rhyme. Um, but if Jackie Kay would allow me to change her poem, I would dare to suggest that hope, the hope of the world, is a woman called Christine. No one's going to mob her in a railway station. She doesn't have close police protection. She lives in a nursing home in Edinburgh, and she's done for many years. Life is really tough for Christine. She has multiple health challenges. She's very frail. She doesn't get lots of visitors. But the whole of creation is groaning with hope, waiting for the hidden glory of Christine to be revealed. And not just Christine, but all of God's children. And that line, hope is the color of the future, it is a true biblical statement for all spirit-filled Christians whose future is colored with a solid and glorious hope. That's what we learn from Romans chapter 8. So have a look again. Have a look at verse 16. And read from verse 16 to 18, and notice how daring verse 18 is. 
So let's start reading at verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now that's a daring statement, isn't it? The Apostle Paul has weighed up all the present sufferings that a Christian believer might have now. And he compares it with the glory that is to come. And he says, no comparison. (laughs) The future glory far outweighs our present sufferings. Now, what's included in the scales for the, the present sufferings? Well, firstly, the way that life feels frustrating and futile. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration. See, in a world where the creator God is deemed irrelevant, then life seems futile and pointless. People exist, but they don't know why they exist. They have no idea where life came from, and they have no idea why they're alive, or there's any point or purpose to it. The Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes is a lament on how life appears so perplexing. Days come, days go, seasons come, seasons go. Nothing much seems to really change apart from the fact that you age and you die. Uh, People try and search for meanings. They they seek meaning by achieving some great goal and, and it gives them hope and meaning for a temporary period. And then when they grasp it, all of it just seems pretty empty at the end of the day. And this existential despair can be seen in various forms of art and entertainment. And actually it can be seen in the many lives of people who, whose lives are blighted and ruined by substance abuse and by suicide. The second aspect of suffering is how this, the suffering that comes from uh, our fallen and corrupt uh, state of creation's death cycle. Again, in verse 20, it speaks of creation being in slavery or bondage to decay. This futility and frustration, this decay and death is because, the Bible says our first parents, Adam, uh, rebelled against God's rule. And in response, God curses the good creation. And so that the world would feel the consequences of our chosen alienation from God that we'd feel the impact of our rebellion. Remove my laptop from the uh, power cable, and it sits there for a while, but the battery slowly drains away, and then the screen goes out, and it's dead. Well, that's us. That's the condition of humanity. Uh, Since we have disconnected ourselves and rebelled against God, the author of all life, So all of creation is subject to this curse from from our self-imposed alienation. The good world that God created is now subject to sin and decay and death. Relationships get very complicated. Conflict ensues. 
The ground uh, now produces thorns and thistles. Food only comes by the sweat of our brow. We experience sickness, diseases, aging, and we return to the dust. And every human being experiences these first two forms of present suffering. But in addition, the Christian experiences a third aspect of suffering. The sufferings of being identified with Jesus Christ. That's what we see in verse 17, isn't it? That we will share in his sufferings. You know, as people rejected Jesus and his claims in Israel, so too Christians will experience different forms of rejection now. Now, in our culture, for most of us, that's just that people think we're a bit weird. Um, uh, we might get a bit of banter, a bit of fun uh, made of us. But for others, particularly in Muslim countries, uh, uh, then it can mean a lot of suffering. It can mean uh, your business gets ruined. It can mean imprisonment. It can mean uh, persecution. It can mean death. Now, the Apostle Paul knew more about this type of suffering than I hope any of us will ever experience. Now, if you keep your fingers in Romans chapter 8... And then turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We've got this incredible list where Paul lists what it meant to him to follow Christ. So chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians and look at verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews... The 40 lashes minus one. Five times. One would be bad, wouldn't it? Two would be awful. Three, your back would be cut up pretty quick. Four, five. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. This constant feeling of threat. Verse 27, I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone, often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concerns for all the churches. Do you think that's a lot of suffering? That's a lot of suffering, isn't it? How do you put up with all that suffering? Well, you only do so because you know that beyond the suffering, there is an even more glorious hope. And that's what he's saying in Romans chapter 8, isn't he? So let's turn back to Romans chapter 8. Look back at verse 18, this daring claim. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, the present sufferings are real and they're weighty, and if it's all you experience, you would be in despair, I reckon. But if we're spirit-filled Christians today, we know that this is not all that there is. There is a far weightier glory yet to be revealed. And how do we know all this? Well, believe it or not, we know all of this because of the groanings. All the groanings. The Apostle Paul gives kind of three proofs 
uh, to back his daring claim. And in each one, there is groaning. Do you groan? Do you groan? Uh, when I turned 50 a few years ago, I found that suddenly I was groaning a lot more. Groaning when I got out of my seat. It's unbelievable. To get, oh. Sometimes groaning when I get out of bed. My body's kind of feeling all these random aches and pains. I never used to feel them before. But it turns out it's not just me, but the whole of creation that is, is groaning for this future glory. Have a look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It turns out our groans are an echo of creation that's been subjected to frustration. We feel the effects of the curse of sin. But verse 20 tells us that God subjected it in hope. This futility, this frustration, this decay is done in hope. See, life as it is now is not how it will be forever. A day will come, as we sang about a moment ago, oh yeah, a day has come in verse 21 when it will be, we'll be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. See, standing outside a room, you hear groans, but it's indistinguishable what those groans are about. They could be the groans of death, or they could be the groans of life. Now, I was present at four, all four of my children's births, as was my wife, and uh, there was understandably a lot of groans. I mean, you know, it was wonderful when she had the first one. I was amazed she wanted to have any more. Four, the groaning, my goodness. But you know, all these groans were the groans of hope as they led to new life. Shown anew on the other side of this pain and the groaning, there would be the joy of holding a miraculous little baby in her arms that had grown inside of her. And even as we're hearing these apocalyptic messages about five minutes before midnight when it comes to global warming, the message of the Bible is that God subjected the world to the curse of decay in hope. Whatever you think about climate change, don't despair. The world is groaning in hope. In hope of what is to come. That great day of liberty and freedom when the glory of the children of God is fully revealed to all. The Bible actually says that every child of God is glorious. But it's kind of hidden. Christians look the same as everyone else. You don't really see that glory. But when the trumpet call of God comes... And the dead will be raised into redeemed, imperishable resurrection bodies like the resurrection body of Christ. These glorious resurrection bodies, perfectly healthy, uh, living and whole, no sinful nature, no diseases, no death, fit for all eternity. Then on that day, creation can't wait for it because that will be the day of liberty and freedom for the whole of creation. As it enters into the liberty and freedom of the children of God. The world's looking forward to a time where there's no more threats of nuclear destruction, no more wars, no more pandemics, no more threat of extinction. The Christian hope 
is, is not the ultimate end, is a disembodied heaven in the clouds somewhere, but a real physical world. But it will be a redeemed one, a renewed one, a restored world. Uh, there's some text suggests as if it's all going to be completely destroyed and God starts again. Or there's others would say, you know, the, the fire is going to destroy the earth. It's going to be a purifying fire. It's going to be the same world. But it's going to be a transformed world. Well, you can debate as you look at the text. But the creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth for that day when Christ returns and the completeness of our salvation. And... Um, I actually think that's a good reason to take care of the planet now. I think it's a good thing to reduce pollution. I think it's a great thing to move towards living in a more renewable way. To be good stewards of God's creation is part of our calling, even if I don't buy into all the hype of COP26. See, the real apocalypse is not going to be global warming. It's going to be the great day of the revelation of the glory of Jesus Christ. And what a day that will be. So firstly, creation groans in hope. But secondly, Christians groan for this future glory as well. Look at verse 23 to 25. Not only so, verse 23. But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So creation is waiting in eager anticipation, and we eagerly wait as well. Creation is groaning, and my Christian friends, we groan inwardly. We've been adopted by the Spirit, but our bodies are still not yet redeemed. We feel the brokenness of this world. Christians will still struggle with anxiety and depression and mental health disorders and cancer and the problems of aging bodies and and organ failure and death, and we groan because of all of these things. Now, many people groan looking backwards as they remember their lost youth or happier times of the past. But we groan as Christians looking forward in hope. Things will not stay the way they are now. And we know this because of the Spirit's work in us. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, it says, which are kind of the the first works of the Spirit in our souls. What are those first fruits we see in our souls? Uh, Well, we have repentance. What a great blessing to come to the realization that our sins are an offense against God and to have found the desire to repent, turn away from our sins and turn back to God. That's an amazing work of the Holy Spirit. We have faith in Christ. That's something uh, Peter says in his first letter is more precious than gold. We have hope which sparkles like a diamond, a hope that is sure and steadfast. We have a love for God and a new love for God's family and a love and concern for our family and our friends who who don't trust Christ. Well, all of these are evidences of the work of the Spirit in our lives. We've received the first fruit of the Spirit. If you see these works in yourselves, you've got the first fruit of the Spirit. And this evidence assures you that you really are born again, that you really have been adopted by God, and you've been made one of his children. And so we too will have a stake in the inheritance of Jesus Christ, that we too will fully know the peace and the freedom of being with him in glory. 
that we too will be freed from the bondage of decay and enter into the full redemption of, our, uh, of the resurrection bodies of eternal life in God's new creation. And yet we groan now because while we have these first fruits, we're still waiting. We're still waiting for the fullness of all that is ours. I don't know if we've had that experience of having to drive across the country, uh, building up to Christmas time, and everybody else had the same idea. And there you are, you're stuck on the motorway, you're stuck in traffic, and it's cold and it's foggy, and you're not getting very far. And what you do is you sit in the car, you groan. Oh. And you're groaning because you know ahead of you is a warm, loving home with the extended family who'll be so glad to see you. All the preparations have been made. There's a great feast coming. There's a great time ahead. And you just long to be there. And you're groaning. Oh, I want to get there. That's Christian groaning. Anticipating our new adopted home. We know that there's so much more yet to come. No more physical pain. No more mental torments. No more emotional pain. And in a sense, every groan is an invitation to us to whisper to God, Abba, Father. And as we groan and turn to our Heavenly Father who cares and answers our prayers of His loved children, every groan we utter from the sigh we make getting out of a chair to the aching void of bereavement is an invitation for us to enjoy the hope of the Spirit in our lives. When Catherine Burroughs visited Christine, she mentioned that in church we were preaching through Romans chapter 8. Almost instantly, uh, this brought Christine to life. And she started singing about no condemnation. Just the reference. She knew it. She knew the chapter. She started singing, No Condemnation. The first fruit of the Spirit shone through all the sufferings of old age and illness and frailty. And uh, Catherine played the final hymn of that morning and they sang together, No Condemnation, Now I Dread, Jesus and All in Him is Mine. Later, one of the carers said to Catherine, Oh, Christine makes me read the Bible to her all the time. So there she is. She's being a witness. She's forcing all these carers to interact with the Word of God. Creation groans. Christians groan. But listen to this amazing point. Thirdly, the Spirit groans for us, waiting for future glory. Look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You see, if we did not have the Spirit of God in us, we would not pray for the right things. It's only people who have the Spirit of God who cry out, Come, Lord Jesus. Your kingdom come. 
It's only people who are filled with the Spirit of God who know that the pains of this messed up world uh, are actually labor pains and not death throes. It is by the Spirit that we can pray in confident hope of this new creation and the redemption of our bodies. Hope is the color now because we know the future. That's true for us as Spirit-filled Christians. But what a mystery is this. Christopher Ash puts it this way. Underneath our groaning, there is the groaning of God praying to God. The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. This is a prayer that's so deep that it doesn't need words. Do you remember what God told Moses at the burning bush? He'd heard the groans of his people. And that's true of us too. He hears our groans as prayers. But how much more will our Heavenly Father hear the groans of his own Holy Spirit within all the children of God who yearn for the glory that will be revealed in us? And so this is the way we can be sure that the future glory outweighs the pain of present suffering. What is coming is so glorious. And God's Spirit within us guarantees it will be ours. His Spirit offers wordless prayers. He's at work in all our groanings as God hears and promises that we too will be glorified. There is a day coming when all creation And all creation is waiting for it when the weight of our present sufferings will be weighed against the the glory that we will be experiencing at that point. And we will say to ourselves, the past was not worth comparing to the glory of this. That day is coming. Let me invite the band up. And we're going to be singing a song as we prepare for a time of communion in a moment. What is communion about? Well, it's a, it is about our uh, communion with one another, but more significantly, it's one another with the Lord. Uh, we remember that Jesus once ate a meal like this with his followers. And uh, he used this meal as a symbol of his death for us on the cross. Then he said he would come again to set up his kingdom where we will eat with him again. And that's really what we're about to celebrate this morning in in this time of communion. Remembering what Jesus did and looking forward to what is yet to come. And Jesus asked his followers to remember him in this way. And so if you're not a follower of him yet, please don't participate. Please just watch. And we look forward to the time where you too will follow Jesus and you can celebrate with us. For that will be someday when we feast with the Lord Jesus, will it not? When we stand with him in glory and see face to face our Lord Jesus, our wonderful Redeemer. Let's stand and worship him.